Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, September 27th, and today we're going to start by talking about Pfizer's decision not to break up, plus a slow-moving breakup over at Valiant. And then we'll move on to uh, Yahoo's massive hack and its implications for Verizon's deal to buy Yahoo's core business. Uh, So, Chris, why don't I start us off with a little bit of background? So, uh, for the past four years, both investors and Pfizer have toyed with the idea of breaking Pfizer up into two businesses, and the basis... The basic thought was, hey, we've got this one business that's filled with old products like Viagra and Lipitor, which they generate tons and tons of cash flow, but their revenues will be slowly hit by patent expiration, so we'll see declining revenues there. And then we've got this other sexier growth business that can develop and market new drugs. We'll split them into two businesses. Dividend yield investors will buy this stodgy old growth business for the cash flow, and more uh, growth-focused investors will buy the growth business. We'll get a higher valuation and create value through that. And the idea really started floating around in 2012 when analysts started saying, hey, there's trap value because the Pfizer trades below the sum of its parts if you look at all of its parts value. Uh, and a lot of people actually thought their ultimately failed merger with Allergan was a step in the was the last step in positioning them for a breakup because Allergan CEO would have been the second CEO candidate they needed to run one of these two businesses. Uh, on Monday, Pfizer came out and said they would remain one company. And in contrast, Valiant, which is kind of everyone's favorite busted growth pharma roll-up, has come out and they've kind of quietly hired Goldman Sachs to look up to look at selling non-core units. So, Chris, what is driving? Let's talk a little bit about what's driving Pfizer to stay together while Valiant's looking to split itself up, and what the implications for the pharma sector as a whole is. Pfizer is a very interesting case. I think part of it is it's been a strong market and it's just gotten to the point that it looked like it might have been undervalued. It's not clear that it's undervalued mm-hmm. today. Uh, another thing that's interesting about it to me is that uh, even though circumstances change, your views should change too. Frequently, a management team simply represents a given ethos. They want to be a roll-up, they want to be a breakup, and when circumstances change, you frequently need to get rid of them and bring somebody else new. Uh, in this case, you know, you had the coming and going of the Allergan deal. Uh, you have Pfizer still standing, switching gears, and uh, it could be the right thing to do. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think the press release Pfizer CFO specifically said one of the reasons is, look, we started exploring this and we thought our stock price was way below the sum of our parts. Yep. When we look at our stock today, uh, we don't think like we're that far below the sum of our parts. So it, one of the reasons for splitting off is, is gone. Now, I don't know if that's a great argument for investing in Pfizer stock today, but it is an argument for Pfizer not to go through the headache, the time, the expense of splitting up. Go ahead. It, it makes uh, a, a good impression on me yeah. that they're willing to change gears. I always hold myself accountable to looking at a stock would I be willing to be both long it or short it at a given price and love when we can be on both sides of it at different times and different circumstances? And I'm always suspect if there's a certain theme that I always like or never like, am I really looking at the data uh, specifically? Uh, in this case, it looks like they are. Yeah, so it looked at the data, decided not to. Uh, you know, I think a lot of analysts have also said, look, Pfizer is, a, is this giant global pharma company. Uh, in today's political environment, uh, being a global giant pharma company gives you a little more leeway in your pricing negotiations with uh, with 
insurance company stuff when you're pricing drugs. And obviously, Pfizer doesn't have this reputation as a big price hiker, which, speaking of price hikers, Valiant does. So why do you think Valiant is kind of looking to break itself up while Pfizer is staying together? Well, I lost a little thought on Pfizer. Go I would ahead. say that uh, in terms of pricing power, you always want it and you never want to talk about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and, uh, so drug pricing, is you want just enough to not get any attention. Um, Valiant, because Valiant needs to. Yep, yep. Look, I, I think... We mentioned the sum of the parts is a big reason why Pfizer is no longer looking. And I think Valiant's board, Valiant's investors are all looking at Valiant and fingers crossed saying, look, the stock is down 75% over the past year. And they're all saying, we think, we hope that the sum of the parts of Valiant is much higher than today's price. But at the same time, there's also a leverage issue, right? Valiant has $31 billion in debt, tons of leverage, and they actually need to sell their assets to pay down some of that debt. What a terrible time to be selling assets when you have to to deleverage. I mean, I think that you can always be as time sensitive as you need to be or price sensitive as you need to be. It's very hard to be both. And when you're under the gun, it can be tricky to get the top dollar for assets. Yeah. And look, we talked about this last week with Pfizer, uh, Pfizer's buying Medivation for $14 billion. They did another deal. I think it was Ancor Pharma. I can't mm-hmm. remember off the top of my head. They did another deal. But they see a, a pharma sector that is bottomed out in part because of the Valiant blow up. They've got a fantastic balance sheet and they're going out and buying companies. And again, one of the reasons they said they're not uh, breaking up is because they think there's an attractive opportunity to buy things right now. And on the other hand, Valiant over leveraged, don't don't have the balance sheet like Pfizer does, and they they're four sellers right now. And f- people like Pfizer with great balance sheets can go take advantage of a four seller in what is kind of a buyer's market right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one of the one of the companies we were looking at this past year that had some accounting problems that prevented them from going up and gobbling up a bunch of companies that they would have at the time. Thought it was the, the best possible circumstance for an overfrothed M and A environment. Uh, Valiant was able to go and do all of those deals, and uh, they're going to have to start undoing them one by one. I think they're going to try to avoid. Uh, losing some of their kind of crown jewels. But uh, once Goldman gets going, we'll see how much they end up selling. Yeah, it's interesting because the original language in them selling uh, in them selling off units was, hey, we're only going to sell off non-core assets. Yeah. We don't want to sell off the crown jewels. Uh, B&L, Bosch & Loam, which is an eye care unit, is one of their crown jewels. They said, that's not on the table. We're going to look to sell $8 billion of non-core assets, and we think we can get 10 to 12 times EBITDA for it. And if you look at the recent language, they're kind of starting to walk it back. And it's kind of like, well, maybe we will sell B&L. So I think it indicates, A, as a four seller, the bids for those $8 billion non-core assets weren't as high as they were looking for. And as a four seller, they might have to give up that crown jewel. Uh, look, it, it wouldn't be a surprise if, maybe not B&L, but it wouldn't be a surprise if one or two of the crown jewels ends up in Pfizer's hands. It's kind of a... Funny to think stodgy old Pfizer. Mm-hmm. Last year, Valiant was this high-flying growth stock backed by Bill Ackman. Funny stodgy old Pfizer might get their best assets in the end. You know, it's always interesting when uh, companies are selling non-core assets where it's some of the same companies, same advisors, and in some cases, same people that put deals together in the past. Mm-hmm. I always thought you should get some sort of discount if they've put it together. <laughs> and and then they, they never make acquisitions that they call, you know, we're just making this non-core acquisition yeah. uh, to put together. And then they completely change the verbiage when they break it up. Great. So I I think that's a great point. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. Unless you've got anything else there, let's move on to Yahoo. I have nothing to add. All right. So Yahoo, I had sworn we were never going to talk about it again because I don't don't know how to pronounce it and everyone (laughs) always hates on me for it. But uh, last week, news broke that they had been hacked sometime in 2014. 
Uh, it, it was at least 500 million user accounts. Chris is writing down how I should pronounce it. Uh, at least 500 million user accounts were hacked. It's believed to be the largest hack of all time. And somewhat humorously, they found out about this hack when they were investigating a what turned out to be false claim that about 280 million users' accounts had been hacked. So, <laughs> good There's news good is that news wasn't true. Yes. It's uh, not 280. <laughs> so, uh, Yahoo's blaming this on a state-sponsored actor, well, and in response to to, you know, this was 2014, wasn't revealed so recently. They're facing pushbacks from regulators, politicians, and users. But I think the one we want to talk about is the pushback they're facing from Verizon, who actually entered a deal to buy uh, Yahoo for $4.8 billion in July. There was a New York Post article that said Verizon executives are literally at war with each other over how to proceed with this acquisition. Some want to call it off, some want to push to reduce the price, and some think the rationale for the deal is still on. A lot of bankers are whispering Verizon's going to try and get out and go bid for Twitter. Uh, We'll discuss Twitter a bit more on Friday. But Chris, the question to you is, is this a breach of the material adverse clause? And what do you think Verizon will do? I think when you do a deal, you should not do marginal deals. You should do something that is such a good one that you've over-communicated within your team. You've over-researched it so you can kind of uh, survive a lot more of the kind of normal fissures along the way. Now, this was a big hack. I mean, they generally love calling these government-sponsored because it's kind of like when you blame earnings on the weather. It's kind of Presumably beyond your control in it's a way not, the corporate one is not. It's not J- Donald Trump's 400-pound man sitting in his uh, bathroom hacking. Bag. Right. No, this is this is somebody that you should presumably... Now, you know, I, I feel like they're implying this is Russia, but isn't it a little beneath Russia to hack Yahoo? I mean, if you're going to hack something, <laughs> wouldn't you hack Google or something? It's like when muggers uh, that were looking for iPhones started to return Blackberries to their <laughs> mugging victims. They said, look, that's really just it's not. Just completely <laughs> worth it. I have something better to do in all fairness. And you'd think that Russia would hack somebody a little higher end. But uh, in any event, uh, is it a violation of the merger agreement? Well, uh, first thing you go through are the reps and warranties. Um, there have been no incidents of claims of security breaches or thefts of user data that might result in a major change to the value of the company, according to the representations that Yahoo made in their deal. That is violated. Uh, That's a problem. Well, Um, so I think what it is, is there's a quote, right? You you were quoting literally directly from the merger agreement. It says, Yahoo is not aware of any security hacks or incidents. Uh, so if it will be a material adverse claim, which, you know, if you're buying a steel plant, the steel plant burns down, you can claim material adverse claim and you don't have to buy that steel plant anymore. It would be a material adverse claim if Yahoo represented that and in fact knew about it. The question is going to become, did Yahoo know about this before the Verizon deal or after the Verizon deal? And the timing is going to determine if it's a Mac or not. The timing is tricky. Um, also, uh, you know, you look at the history of these that when they've been litigated, there's not a ton of litigation. So you look at the priors. Um, it has to be durationally significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has to be, I mean, the kind of rule of thumb you can use is something that's, you know, impacts the value of the company by 5% or 10%. And usually over the course of a few years, not just a single point in time. Mm-hmm. Is this an incident or is this something that's the thematically deeper is it is it toxic and uh, uh this is big i think that um uh if, if i if i by the way i would prefer to be in court arguing that it is not a violation of the agreement than that it is uh but it is serious enough that you could sincere people could uh disagree 
uh, it could be litigated each way. I mean, whenever I ask the lawyers, could you sue for X? 100% of the time their answer is yes, you could. You can sue for that. It doesn't so mean you it, win, though. It doesn't mean you win. Yeah. And uh, so this is the kind of circumstance where it goes to how committed is Verizon to the strategy behind the deal. Let's move there in one second, but there are two things I, I want to point out here. A, uh, look, the, your first thought is the hack was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Of course, Verizon knew about it. But when you listen to security experts, they say, look, these state-sponsored entities, when they hack you, they are good at covering your tracks. And most of them say, yeah, it takes about 18 to 24 months to even find out that you've been hacked. So this is not something where, oh yeah, Yahoo knew about it immediately and kept it hidden in a closet for two for two years, right? This is It is feasible that they did not know about it till mm-hmm. after the Verizon deal was reached. And the other thing I wanted to point out is, look, I don't think I've ever seen a map called for a security hack or for cybersecurity reasons so far. The only one I can think of that could potentially happen is the the St. Jude uh, Abbott deal right now. There's been uh, Muddy Waters had the the breach, and if Abbott tried to break it because of cybersecurity reasons, but this would be an interesting test of cybersecurity in Mac for case law. I don't think we've seen it before. You know, on the way into contracts, people sometimes feel like they're quibbling over minutia, but it always is better to have the issue fully vetted beforehand than after. So some of the things that sometimes the ARBs and outsiders worry about, I actually get comfort that both sets of lawyers and financial advisors went into huge detail to understand the issue. A lot of times the problems are the new thing that comes along that they did not fully think about. And this is a new big issue. I mean, this is not something 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, contracts had this big history of Mm -hmm. how the firms dealt with it. Okay, so I I think that's all perfect. So uh, look, if Yahoo knew about this and didn't disclose it and Verizon decides to call the deal off, uh, they'll owe Verizon 150 million. But let's talk about what do you think happens? Do you think this deal gets done? Do you think the strategic rationale still makes sense? I think the strategic rationale makes sense. I think the deal gets done. Um, I think that I tend to be a price quibbler. Uh, could could you split the difference on price? Maybe. Uh, but uh, I think th- it's, it's relevance to AOL, uh, to what the buyer wants to accomplish. Uh, should not have been so marginal that this makes the difference to walk away. Yeah, so I completely agree with you. So I I would point to two things. Uh, Tim Armstrong, uh, AOL CEO, who is obviously buying uh, Yahoo, he was on CNBC Monday, and you used the term lawyered up. He didn't really seem lawyered up. He he said a couple times, look, I can't. it's too early to really comment on it, but he was talking about the Yahoo deal and the strategic rationale. If, if he was planning on breaking it, generally the lawyers will say, don't say anything. He would say, I can't disclose anything. My lawyers have told me I, I can't say anything. Didn't seem lawyered up, so it seems to me he's pushed. He still wants the deal. And like you said, I don't think this kill, kills the deal rationale. Tim Armstrong has said before, look, if you look at what we're building, we bought AOL and Yahoo combined for less than $10 billion. This makes us the third, uh, something like the third largest uh, advertising player in social media. And if you look at Google and Facebook, both of them are worth $200, $300 billion. If you think about the optionality for becoming the number three behind them, we think $10 billion is a steal for it. So I don't think this massive uh, security act really changes Verizon's rationale for getting all of that upside. If you looked at his success within the larger Verizon organization, I believe that he still has the authority to do this. I believe that he has a lot of discretion, and I don't think he is going to change gears away from this. If we woke up next month and 
Armstrong was out and other board members were looking at kind of a big difference. I mean, when I've seen deals abandoned for uh, specific problems in the course of this, most frequently you see tumult within the leadership structure of the buyer. Without that, I think the same person uh, is going to uh, stick to his guns. I, I think that's another great point. Like career-wise, Tim Armstrong and one other person who's kind of leading the leading force behind this deal, who her name escapes me, they are considered like the most likely candidates to kind of succeed Verizon CEO when they move on and move mm-hmm. up through the organization. If this deal is called off, that's a huge kind of political mark for them going forward. So reputation-wise. They might just want to go ahead with this deal and keep betting on it because if they call it off, their career at Verizon is somewhat dead. So I think their incentives are still there. The strategic rationale is still there. I I, I think this is going to happen. Uh, We're almost out of time. If you want to five or ten seconds to wrap things up, I'll give it to you. I have nothing to add. Great. So that's all the time we have for today. Uh, We will be back later this week where we'll be talking about uh, Twitter is up for sale. We talked about that one last week, but they are officially up for sale. And we'll talk about all the potential buyers and probably a little bit updated on politics in light of the debates. Uh, So let's see. That's all the time we have for today. Just a quick reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to recommend us to a friend. Kind of increasing this podcast traffic is how we keep them going. Disclosures. Chris, I'm not long anything we talked about. I think you might be long a little St. Jude and a little Yahoo. Am I missing anything? Uh, I'm long a little St. Jude and I'm long a little Yahoo. Yahoo. Okay, perfect. Well, we will talk to you guys later this week. Thanks again.